Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Good evening, everyone. Uh, sorry for the voice, but this is what you're going to live with for the next hour. Keith Jones with you. Time now for the front row. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, I'm jo- joined remotely by my partner. I'm, I'm sailing by myself. I- I- I've got a hold of the rudder. Don't know exactly what to do with it, but I've been entrusted with the ship. And uh, from about uh, 1,000 miles away, my partner, uh, Tom Block, is going to cue in. And, and maybe if I get off the rails, Tommy, uh, you can bring me back on. But uh, but welcome to you via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tom Block, everybody. KJ, I've been trying to keep you uh, back on the rails. I've made a career out of that, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, just so you'll know, uh, for any of you that are familiar with uh, uh, the cockpit of, a, of an airline, the pilot sits in the left seat and the co-pilot sits in the right seat. Well, the the, the left seat is vacant here in the studio in honor of uh, Tom, who's normally piloting the ship. And, and I'm flying from the from the right seat and not quite sure what I'm doing. So anyway, we'll, mud, do, we'll I, muddle along as best we can. I bet you're in the taller chair, though, aren't you? No, I'm 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 in an equal chair, but as I told our listeners, I'm remind you. Remember when the chair got back equal together, uh, the wheel fell off of mine. So if it's not one thing, it's another. Oh well, the wheels fell off for Clemson on uh, Sunday, I think you could say, and for the Falcons for that matter. I'm not sure where you want to start. There were a lot of wheels that were rolling down the highway. Let's start with Let's start with the Falcons. I I don't think I've ever been more disappointed and excited about a Super Bowl all at the same time. Disappointed in that it wasn't competitive for a while? Disappointed in I found myself rooting for the Falcons. And once they got up big, uh, you know, I was like everyone else jumping on the We Hate New England bandwagon and then just sat there in unbelief, uh, disbelief during the fourth quarter and into overtime when New England, we all have to admit, showed exactly what they were made out of. Yeah, there's obviously two ways you can look at it. and uh, uh, One is New England with a tremendous comeback, and the other was the Falcons just giving that game away. But, uh, yeah, I was like you. I was rooting for the Falcons in that game. I, thought, I was like everybody. I thought they had it wrapped up, and, and obviously they needed one more score that never came. I was pulling for the Falcons. Uh, I wouldn't call it – I don't have hatred for the Patriots so much as New England's fatigue and kind of Tom Brady fatigue, but – uh, I mean, you can't argue with his greatness. I mean, he does it time and again, and uh, it, was, it was an incredible finish for them, a dismal finish for the Falcons. Uh, I know you did see Corey uh, Clark at some point this week, so I guess he's still upright and taking nourishment. He was in a wheelchair and being pushed by an attendant last time I saw him. Yeah, well, that's, uh, he and every other Atlanta sports fan. You know, I, I've been in Nashville at a uh, conference this week, KJ, and so I actually flew on Super Bowl Sunday through the Atlanta airport Prior to the game, uh, early around lunchtime, which, uh, as you can expect, was nothing but pandemonium and Falcons fans flying out to Houston to go to the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm, I'm, let's just say that I'm glad I wasn't there on Monday when they were returning. I'm afraid there would have been way too much uh, adult beverage consumption and maybe even some illegal stuff, if uh, truth be known. <laughs> exactly. I was disappointed for Devontae. Uh, you know, and which is not to say that I'm not pleased for Trey Jackson, who's been injured with the Patriots, but will still get a ring and I'm sure a, a cut of the winner's purse or, or what have you. But uh, that, that's probably more than anything why I was pulling for the Falcons in that game. But you just, I, what, here's the real question. So what Florida State game did that remind you of in terms of, or it doesn't have to be Florida State, one of your teams just having your heart ripped out like that? I, Tommy, I was talking with Kathleen, my wife, uh, as soon as overtime was over. It it for me personally, it reminded me of the eighty one Orange Bowl, where we as Florida State we just we whipped Oklahoma all over the field, and then on their last possession they passed the ball. A running team running the the uh, the triple option, they passed the ball against us, score a touchdown, score a two point conversion to win. Now there may be a better comparison, and I'm being very selfish, but but that's the game it reminded me of some thirty six years ago. Well, and two others that come to mind that are FSU games would be the 87 game against Miami where Florida State was up big and Miami had a huge fourth quarter rally and won that game 26-25. Uh, 
And and I guess wide right one probably more than wide right two because wide right one was uh, a game that Florida State had they scored some touchdowns instead of kicks and field goals they've been in better shape there too. Well, or maybe I'm maybe I'm mixing that up with the '87 game now as I think about it. But the the, the feeling at the end of those games had to be akin to what Falcons fans uh, felt and are still feeling right now. Well, the good news is they got there. Uh, the better news is that they're young. And rumor mill has it, maybe even confirmed. Uh, I haven't kept up with it, but uh, as our show airs on Wednesday night, may, maybe even confirmed that uh, Sarkeesian is the, the new offensive coordinator uh, for the Falcons coming from Atlanta. At least that's the story uh, that was talked about on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll just have to wait to see. All right, Tommy, you hang you hang tight. Don't go anywhere. Wherever you're at, stay there. Okay, and we'll come back and pick up uh, segment two. But before we leave, we'll remind you that uh, uh, one of our great sponsors. Madison Social doing some great things at Madso. Reuben Day is every day, uh, excuse me, every 17th of the month. Uh, Reuben Day, Centrale Italian Parlor, uh, old school Italian fair, fun, fresh edge. And then Moto is now open. They're crazy good food, approachable wines by tap, glass or bottle, and table or friends to share it with. Thank you so much to Madison Social for all they do for the front row. We're going to step aside. We'll be back in just a moment. This is the front row. Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back, everybody. This is Keith Jones on the front row. I'm joined via telephone, actually, by the Earl Bacon Agency hotline with my partner, Tom Block. He's up in Nashville uh, on assignment. Is that what we will tell everybody you're doing, Tommy? Uh, you can tell them whatever you want. I don't think that's officially the word. Maybe it is uh, on assignment. We're related conference at the, uh, the Gaylord Opryland, which I think you've stayed at, Keith, and it's I don't know what this, the acreage is. I, I swear it's bigger than FSU fan camp. Last night I made the mistake of uh, leaving something in the room, which at that point when you have to go back to the room, it's almost worth just canceling your plans for the evening because that takes another hour to get back there. I've been to that facility one time, and, and I agree with you. It is, is monstrous. It's actually, this is the, uh, I don't know if it still is, but when FSU played in the Music City Bowl back after the 07 season, this was the team hotel, and I think it was both teams' hotels, and that probably is the standard. And the hotel's so big that neither team would run into each other anyway, because it's just that big. No chance of a casual acquaintance. No, no, I mean, it's just, but it is, it is a great hotel. And, uh, yeah, so I, I watched the Super Bowl on the road, and uh, here in Nashville, uh, in the South, most people are rooting for, for the Falcons. And before we, well, before we bounce to basketball, Keith, I just wanted to get your opinion on if the NFL should change its overtime rule, and if so, to what? And I'm not blaming uh, the Falcons' loss on the overtime rule. There are a lot of other things. But I, I do think it was it was an exhibit A of what seems to be pretty unfair and that one team doesn't get a chance in the next period uh, and the game is over. You know, I, I've got mixed feelings about that. I, I like the overtime rule for college because uh, it gives everybody a fair chance. The problem I worry about with the overtime rule example of the NFL adopted the college overtime rule is those offenses are so good from 25 yards in. I mean, you're going to end up with both teams having seven or eight additional possessions each and you could end up with a professional score of, of 98 to 96 is my fear. Well, I wonder if the compromise isn't to uh, do sort of a Kansas tiebreaker method or whatever it's called, the college uses only don't start at 25, they can start at midfield or they can start at drone 40 or 45 so that you actually have to earn a couple first downs before you're in the red zone. You know, and you might act, a punt might actually come into play. Well, I do know that because New England won the toss, got the ball, scored, won the ball game, it's going to be a topic of conversation because you're trying to find a way to make it reasonably fair for the Falcons, and they they never got an opportunity to answer in overtime at all. No, they didn't, which, uh, again, I mean, they they lost the game in the the late third and and in the fourth quarter, but uh, it does seem not not equitable that that's the way the game ends there. I think it should force some conversation, I would think, with the NFL rules 
ready to pick that around. Certainly, uh, there'll be some. Certainly, there'll be something that they look at. Yeah, yeah, they'll have to. I mean, it's the first time there's ever been an overtime uh, in a Super Bowl, so they'll they'll have to look at that. There was no overtime in the basketball game, uh, as I recall. Nor, nor was there need for one. No. In well, fact, uh, I was wondering done. at some point in the second half, would they go to the high school rule where if you're up by 35, you just run the clock? <laughs> well, uh, again, uh, as, as noted, I was traveling at that time, so I, I watched the game via my Twitter feed, which is highly entertaining because every time I refreshed, the lead had gone from 20 to 25 to 30 to 35 to whatever it got to. Uh, it, it was amazing. But I, I, think, you know, I think the bigger picture there is uh, and I'm guilty of this too. I think all the Florida State fans as a whole tend to be a little guilty of having a football mentality in a non-football sport. And so, you know, people were acting as, as if the ship was taken on water and it wasn't a good team and they lost a couple games on the road. And now all of a sudden, that second half they played against Miami was tremendous, but they did one punch and was tremendous. And obviously there's a big opportunity tonight against the team that should beat NC State. But, but, but the bigger picture is, I mean, for this team to be sitting where they are right now, at number two in the ACC. Uh, uh, how many people do you know that would have picked that back at uh, ACC Media Day before the beat? No, no one would have picked it, and if it had been given as an option, everyone would have taken it. Uh, so I think your point's exactly right. How about this as an analogy, however? Uh, Florida State football ends up 3-2. and two. A lot of uh, negative uh, discussion about the defense. The defense turns it around, and the football season turns around. You lose two. You go down to Miami. Your kids buy into the necessity to play defense. They do that particularly well in the second half. They do it for the entire 40 minutes against Clemson, and you have two blowout victories. Point being, everything apparently starts with defense. So you're predicting FSU's going to beat Michigan in the Final Four? Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't know about that, but uh, certainly if they get them, maybe so. But no, I, I, I think your point is right on. Uh, and, and we talked about this a lot, uh, well, a lot during the Leonard tenure, really, when he didn't have the offensively skilled players that he has now. And, and that is that, uh, you know, you can stay in a game with effort and want to, and that's, that's a large part of what defense is. So on a night when you're not shooting well, you're still right in the game, and then somebody gets hot, and you, and you take it from there. So, you know, it's not that Leonard wanted to play games that were 51 to 49 uh, eight and ten years ago. It's that he knew that's how he could compete in this league. Now he's got better players, and he's happy to go up and down the court as Florida State's been doing the last couple of years. But obviously, if you play defense, uh, that, that's going to be a pretty good foundation. For Here's the one thing, though, Tommy, that I think is a little different that, that I'm hanging my hat on at least in February. When I watch the kids on the defensive end, and I'm right there on the court with Gene, when I watch them on the defensive end, even on a third, fourth, or fifth series of a rotation, and and even if they were the ones that scored a three or drove to the lane and got two and a harm and made a free throw, all five of them are still playing defense with the same intensity on that, that fourth or fifth possession of a rotation as they were on the first. And my, my point is, I think, and I'm beginning to believe, that you've got complete, complete player buy-in. Not just we know it works and if we do it for a, a period of time we can win games, but it looked to me like, particularly in the Clemson game, you had complete buyer play-in, one through 13, uh, player buy-in rather, one through 13, the entire 40 minutes of the game. Well, and, and we saw, we noted early in this, this campaign that this team seemed to like each other, you know, and that they're, so it's not surprising to see that there's buy-in. They hit that little blip on the road, and, you know, it, frankly, you need blips because other than the 2013 football team, uh, every team goes through some adversity. And if you don't have a chance to come from behind at the half, if you're not losing on the road, uh, you don't know how you're going to respond when you get to the postseason. So, I mean, from that sense, it's good. And what's better is that Fort State responded well to that adversity against Georgia Tech and Syracuse based on their last two games. And I'm, he- I'm hearing anecdotally that um, uh, ACC tournament ticket sales are, are well ahead of where they've been in the past. And uh, I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but there's a, a tremendous number of people that are coming up to me before and after the games Talking about you, you think we'll get to Orlando? You think you think Orlando will, will go first? 
I mean, there are a lot of people already eyeing the first weekend of the tournament in Orlando. Yeah, and to me, when you look at where Florida State's ultimately going to finish, uh, I don't think you could argue with a top four seed in the ACC and a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. Now, right now, I mean, their RPI is as high as, what, five or six or seven? Uh, number seven, I think. Last time yeah, I checked, yeah, but maybe even higher since then. Yeah, so, so as we speak right now, you're talking about a number two seed in the ACC tournament and a number two national, uh, number two seed in the NCAA tournament. But uh, the reason to me that's significant for the ACC is if you, if you finish in the top four, then you basically get the double buy and don't play till Friday, which means your first game, you're playing somebody that's already played a game. And think about how many times historically Florida State's been the team that just played a game and now is playing a fresh set of legs. So that's, that's completely flipping things uh, 180 from where they have, have often been for Florida State. But I do think they'll be in Orlando. And, you know, thinking this through further, I'd have to look at it, but I'm pretty sure the way the NCAA does that now, it used to be that all eight teams in one of those sites were in the same region, but now it's actually two regions, I think. A lot of times it is. Maybe maybe not every time, but a lot of times it is. The point I'm making is that uh, if you're Orlando, depending on how high uh, the Gators get, you could conceivably, I think, get Florida and Florida State both into that Orlando first and second round without FSU and Florida being paired up against each other. Right, right. And that would be an attendance. Uh, boom for, for Orlando. So I'm sure that's what they want. Well, speaking Thank of you. attendance, by the way, 10,800, I believe, uh, at the Clemson contest. You know, well, normally normally those are the numbers for Carolina and Duke. Yeah. Yeah. That, it, so that's very good. But I, I'd like to, I mean, it, to me, it should be, like, this is a team that, that everybody, it should be sold out. I know they got three home games last. It doesn't matter to me that one of them, or that they're against teams that are in the bottom third of the ACC right now. You know, this, this is a special team. You know, I've been around it for a while. There hasn't been a team this good uh, probably since the early 90s in the, in the Ward, Giselle, Joe Bard, Doug Edwards, Sturrett days, you know? Well, the last time Florida State clo- scored over 100 in an ACC game was 25 years ago, and that 48-point that margin of victory or whatever it was, I think was either the largest or the second largest in the history of being in the league. So some, some really, um, really – once in a program things happening uh, yeah. as we finish out this 17, 16, 17 season. Yeah, no question. And that's the point. So, I mean, there's three more home games, uh, you know, get to the top. That said, the crowd has been, has been good this year as it should be. I got, I got two things I wanted to mention. One, you, you mentioned the ACC tournament uh, ticket interest. Uh, I'm sure with the team's success, yes, there's interest, but that would have been there anyway uh, with the tournament being in New York this year for, for the start of a two year run, you know, it's out of North Carolina and that was, that was a decision that was made before the HB2 uh, law that's, that's forced all the other competition out of the state of North Carolina. So I think this is a real opportunity. And for Florida State to go to New York when the ACC tournament's finally going to be on the biggest stage, albeit not at Madison Square Garden, with a team of this caliber that has a chance to win the tournament, uh, I mean, that's that's a lot of exposure for the league and for FSU. It's a big opportunity. Agreed. And then the, and then the second thing I was going to mention, Keith, is that uh, as you look at the, the shooting statistics for FSU now, uh, P.J. Savoy has sort of cooled off a little bit by his standards. He's, he's shooting uh, .408. Just. Did you notice, what, I'm talking about three-pointers. Did you yeah, notice just. Angola, <laughs> did you notice what Angola Rodas is shooting now? He's at .406, so he's basically shooting the same percentage beyond the arc as P.J. Savoy. Uh, and not at the same volume, but I say that because if you look at Florida State's two-game kid, uh, you know, he missed one of those games and was probably not 100% in the Syracuse game, if memory serves. And I feel like he's a guy of all the newcomers that we've talked about the least because we've talked about Trent Forrest and C.J. Walker and C.J. Savoy. We haven't talked as much about Angola Rodas. Uh, and, it's, you know, there's nothing that you look at on his stat line that really jumps out at you, but, but he's not an insignificant piece to this, this very deep team. Well, and I'm talking from memory, but do you, do you know what his average was last year? What? I, I believe he scored 27 a game. Oh, is that right? I mean, he was a prolific scorer, uh, you know, last year. He, he just hasn't had the playing time or the opportunity here. Yeah, I just think it's it's interesting when you look at where that blip came because he's not a guy, if you were to start naming the key players for Florida State among basketball fans, you know, they're going to go through the starting lineup, and when they get to the subs, uh, they're going to talk about T.J. Walker and Trent Forrest and, and Jarquez Smith, who's, who's really had a great senior season and been much tougher than I expected him to play this year. He's, he's been solid. 
but but a lot of other names are going to come up before you get to Angola Rodas, and yet there he is, almost shooting the same percentage as Savoy right now beyond the arc. Well, and the other thing I'd echo that as we finish up this segment is that that Bacon over the last couple of games, Dwayne has has decided he would go ahead and shoot the three ball. Uh, a couple of the ones he launched at Clemson were from NBA range easily, and and his percentage over the last couple of contests has been dramatically improved as well. Yeah, well, and X's percentage is way up. I mean, his assist to turnover is better than two to one. He had uh, nine. He and Forrest had 15 assists and two turnovers in a combined 40-minute game against Clemson. Well, and you know what? It helps that assist to turnover ratio. It's not just cutting down on turnovers. It's when guys make shots, and this team's shooting 49% from the field. So there's more assists to be had if guys are making buckets. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, listen, you hang on. We're not letting you go. We're going to step aside. We're going to dial in if uh, the communication satellites align properly with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. And uh, I think I think we've talked uh, enough about basketball with the uh, upcoming topic of uh, signees. And we'll get into that a little more in depth when Tim joins us. Stay with us. <laughs> The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back, everyone. That music can only mean one and one thing only. And that is that we're joined by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And along with Tim, we'll bring back Tom Block. And guys, the uh, geocentric uh, orbit of the satellites evidently was in sync, and we have both of you. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, we here, here it are. It's, it's a minor technological miracle. Especially, I, I say- especially with me trying to serve as host. <laughs> well... We can't fix everything, Keith. You know, we're trying. Thank you, partner. Hey, I was going to say, though, that, uh, and this may be, uh, you know, we've got so many different uh, things going on this week with me being out of town, Tom Lang's not behind the glass. Uh, that was that was the incorrect walk-up music for, for Tim Linnefelt there. I mean, we, we changed to a little Survivor last week, and lo and behold, we get the second half against Miami and that, that big uh, route at Clemson. No, I'm going back. It, this is Groundhog Day. Okay. We're going to see if it works. We're going to go back to it, see if it works. All right. Just saying. And we didn't give Tim Linnefeld a vote, so there's the biggest thing. <laughs> Tim, you ever seen a game quite like uh, Sunday's uh, whipping a Boston? Uh Not against an Atlantic Coast Conference opponent. No, you usually see those, you know, around the first or second week in November against uh, a school whose name you can't remember a few weeks later. But uh, a game like that that's just, you know, pure domination. Every time you look up, it seems like Florida State's up by 10 more points uh, on and on and on and, and probably could have won by more than they did had, had Leonard Hamilton not, not you know, subbed out his starters toward the end. Um, you know, Clemson, I think, is, is obviously struggling a little bit, but I, Florida State did a lot to make it look bad. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's uh, historic in a way. Obviously, there's still uh, a lot of season to go, but I don't know how you could go into the, uh, you know, the NC State game this week or the, the Notre Dame game beyond that uh, feeling any better with the way they responded after those two losses. Could you feel any better about either of your programs, given what the women's do- women are doing as well? Oh, no, my gosh. Are you kidding? Uh, number five national ranking. I had a tough game against Miami uh, on Monday night, and you know, I thought Miami kind of came out with a game plan that you, know, you might see some other uh, some other programs employ, which is, you, you know, you try to do the the old, you know, commit as many fouls as you can kind of early on and, and dare the referees to call everything, make it a physical game, and, and see if you can knock Florida State out of rhythm. And they kind of did for a little while. Uh, but give FSU credit. Uh, the women, that, that team is a, it's really versatile. It can kind of win uh, in a variety of different ways. And when, when the game got physical, it was, it was their center, Treese White, excuse me, who kind of stepped up and, and, and delivered the, the victory in the fourth quarter there. So uh, an impressive group for them, and uh, kind of like we said a couple weeks ago, the, the the hiccups on the men's side notwithstanding, it's a really great time to be a Florida State basketball fan. In, NC State scares me tonight. I don't I don't know why. There's just something about the Wolfpack that always rubs me the wrong way. 
maybe it was uh, the, them going up to uh, to Duke and, uh, and 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 beating them. That would be be my uh, my first estimation. But no, they're they're one of those teams that uh, this kind of it sounds like a, a rude thing to say, I guess. But it seems like that program and that team is perpetually underachieving. That they're never quite reaching the uh, the heights that we feel like we should. And that might not be a fair assessment, but that's kind of what it feels like sometimes. Uh, and so the the problem with that then is you always wonder. Uh, if they are underachieving, is there ever going to be a case where they, they rise up and, and play the way they're capable of? And if you're, you know, a faint of heart FSU fan, you think, yeah, we know what's going to happen as soon as they come to Tallahassee. Uh, but they do have Dennis Smith Jr., one of the best players in the ACC, uh, ranked near the top of the ACC uh, in a lot of different categories, and both scoring, rebounding, assists. Uh, really nice player and, and somebody the Florida State's going to have to be ready for. Well, I would agree with your comment about uh... – the underachieving thing on the NC State side of the ledger, Tim. And it's magnified, of course, because they're in the shadow of Duke and Carolina. But I, here's something that's – and I'm looking I'm looking this up as I'm speaking because it just doesn't seem possible. But NC State hasn't won the ACC tournament since 1987. And FSU and Miami have each won it in the last five years, and, and FSU is going to compete for it again this year. I mean, that's that just can't sit well in Raleigh. No, I would think not. And, and you know, that's a school that – Again, I again, I apologize to any NC State fans or alumni who are listening, uh, but it just seems, and this is just our perception living down here in Florida, is that there's kind of an inferiority complex, uh, and it's you know, and it's really difficult when you have two marquee programs that are you know all, all within an hour of your campus or so, and they get kind of all the attention and the accolades and whatever else, and it sort of hides the fact that NC State has had a, a pretty pow- proud basketball history, but you know, I don't know, it's it's just such an uphill climb in state, you know, at least for Florida State or Miami, you can kind of recruit a different angle. I recruit a different part of the country, but, you know, if it's a top-level kid, uh, you know, if he has an offer from NC State, North Carolina, and Duke, you know, more often than not, it seems like NC State's going to be third on his list. Uh, and that's really difficult when you're, you know, so close in proximity to, to your rivals. Well, I do think it's going to be interesting to watch what happens tonight. Um, guys, if we can, let's change gears a little bit. The elephant in the room that we haven't talked about, uh, and it's a big, good-looking elephant, is this recruiting class. Uh, no pun intended uh, towards the uh, Crimson Tide. But uh, everything, all the dust has settled, Tim. Uh, everybody is dotted, uh, signed the, the on the dotted line. Uh, the early enrollees of in have been introduced. We've talked about um, now that everything has calmed down, is it as good as it appears to be? I think so. Uh, you know, we won't know for sure, obviously, for another couple of years, but as much as we can know, uh, in 2017, before these most of these guys have even hit campus, uh, yeah, you know, you got to think of it almost like, and if you'll forgive the uh, the terminology, but almost like a, you know, a lottery ticket where uh, you know you have to hope that, that you hit on some of them, and you want to get as good a ticket as you can. And I think that's kind of, you know, we talk about the star rate, ratings and rankings and all that stuff. I think that's kind of what you know you're talking about when you when you get five star players and four star players and, and blue chips and whatever else. You know, those are the guys who the, the people who are paid a lot to, to analyze this stuff say that you know these are the guys that are most likely to become uh you know really good players at the next level so uh for florida state you, i mean you got blue chip guys almost across the board and you sign them in so many different places uh you sign uh, just about filled, filled i thought knees in almost every position the only group that they didn't sign a lot of was on the offensive line where oh they signed seven guys last year so maybe not as big of a need this year but uh but yeah no i think it's a it's a it's a really good group with a lot of potential top end talent at just about you know everywhere where they sign guys so yeah, I don't know how you could be more uh, more happy, especially given the way that it ended with uh, with Marvin Wilson announcing his uh, his intentions to come to Florida State, the big defensive tackle, uh, pretty much at the end of the day. And uh, I don't know that I'd ever seen anything like that where uh, at least it worked out in Florida State's favor where you're basically sitting there waiting all day. A kid didn't announce. I think it was pushing 5 o'clock by the time he went on ESPNU and announced he was coming to Florida State. And up to that point, it had been a pretty quiet day around here, uh, and that changed in a hurry when he announced for FSU. Tim, the thing that's... Uh gotten a lot of play this week on the Clemson side is that uh, now Clemson didn't have a great class in terms of the rankings, that's because their numbers were low. The guys they got are very good. But what's gotten a lot of play is the brand new football facility that, you know, has a nap room and a slide and a bowling alley, I think. I don't even know what else. Uh, I mean, it feels like that's going to be next in the queue for, for Jimbo uh, in the next couple of years. Uh, what say you? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, you know, it's kind of the world that we're living in and that it's, it's just sort of an arms race uh, to have, you know, the, the newest and best of everything. Florida State just opened up uh, a, a player's lounge that, you know, uh, not all that long ago was considered the best in college football and in terms of 
of lounge spaces. Maybe it actually still is, but you know, that's just kind of, like I said, the world we're living in. And, and you hear whispers every once in a while about the idea of, of building a new football only building somewhere on campus and, and moving all the football operations over there. And that can include your, your water slides and bounce houses and whatever else you want <laughs> to, uh, to show up on ESPN, whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, it, it's all sort of intangible right now. You hear sort of crazy pie in the sky type of theories, but at the same time, when you think about how quickly things came together, you know, I mean, three or four years ago, uh, if, if we had said, oh, they're going to have, you know, a chair backs in the south end zone of Dope Campbell Stadium and, and a covered terrace and all that, uh, we probably would have thought that was pretty far off, and yet here we are uh, with, you know, the Champions Club getting ready to go into its second year of existence. So I guess my point is that even if it's just, you know, sort of vague concepts right now, uh, these things tend to happen pretty quickly in, in the football world, and, and we have a track record of that. Showing that at Florida State, I think, with the football facilities, both, the, you know, the Champions Club, the upgrades to Campbell Stadium, and even taking a little bit further, the, uh, the indoor practice facility, which, you know, not all that long ago seemed like a pie in the sky kind of idea. And, and now it's just, you know, it's hard to remember a time when it wasn't here. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, it'll, it'll take, you know, a little while, but, but I won't be surprised at all, you know, in the next few years if that pendulum swings back towards Florida State's favor. Guys, you think there's any chance that, that all the publicity with all the bells and whistles – is there a chance that some schools will come back and revert back to an old school mentality that says things like you guys enjoy your slide and have fun in your bowling alley. Okay. We're going to spend our time in the weight room and on the practice field and and let's see who wins when we play 60 minutes. You mean like Michigan did in the orange bowl? (laughs) I'm just asking the question. No, no, no. I'm with you. And I think it's a, uh, it's a completely uh, legitimate question. And yeah, probably we, you know, I hate to say this, man. You guys, I'm saying all kinds of, of unpopular things today, but uh, you know, who's going to say that are the schools who either don't have the resources to keep up with that, or who just decide that they don't want to commit the resources to that. Uh, and yeah, I, I think you are going to see that happen as it escalates more and more. But I, I, to be quite frank, I don't see Florida State being on that list. Well, here's what I, here's where I'm coming from. Uh, You're coming from old school, exactly. And I'm going. All right, we build a new facility, and it's a nice new facility. But we build the things we need and the things that help you win football games. We don't put in a slide. We don't put in a bowling alley. We don't have a nap room, okay? We put in the things that are required to be successful on the football field, and we deliberately do away with the fluff. Well, I think the fluff is part of what helps with the recruiting, KJ. But I do think some of those things that might lead to injuries, for example, when your starting quarterback hurts his elbow while bowling or playing basketball or something, those types of things may go away. Well, and I'm being a little bit facetious because I know you've got to create the environment for kids to come in, and I, I don't think like a 17- or 18-year-old kid anymore. But by the same token, I, I, I do think some of this stuff has probably gone a little bit too far. We'll just have to wait and see, I guess, is the is the point. Well, exactly. Who, Tim, who's going to be the uh, unsung guy in this recruiting class, do you think? Hmm, that's a, that's a really good question. There, there are so many sung guys, so to speak, if that makes any sense, in terms of you know a lot of, a lot of five-star top-end guys. I think they said that in the, in the history of Rivals.com, one of the, the recruiting uh, scouting services, it's the first time that a team has ever signed three of the top five players in the country, uh, which FSU did, and Cam Makers, Joshua Kando, and, and Marvin Wilson. So uh, there's a lot, lot of high-end guys there. As far as the unsung, uh, I don't know if he would count as unsung, but the guy who really caught my eye on some of those highlight videos was DJ Matthews, the uh, the receiver from Jacksonville. Just looks like a, a really, really nice player. Uh, not not the biggest guy necessarily, uh, but but bigger, certainly bigger than some of the guys that, that I think we've gotten used to over the past several years. Looks like a, a player who was uh, really slippery in the open field. And, and given that Florida State lost so many receivers last year, uh, from Travis uh, Travis Rudolph, Bobo Wilson, and Kermit Whitfield. Uh, if there was an opportunity for a guy to make an impact uh, that, that maybe isn't catching the same type of headlines as some of those those other five star prospects, maybe he could be it. Do you think there's any chance that any of those running backs move to a receiver position? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think so. Uh, I think they they really like those guys. What I do think you could see happen is Florida State go back to a more what we saw pre Dalvin Cook, if you will, where where Jimbo Fisher is is splitting carries and rotating things uh, a little bit more heavily uh, and, and trying to get the guys involved uh, in, in other facets. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if they did something, you know, like they, they had packages or, uh, or, or situations where maybe you had one of those guys primarily as a pass catching back, uh, and that was his specialty and something he was really good at. But, uh, but I don't know that we'll ever actually see one move specifically to wide receiver. 
Well, Tim, the first time we'll get a shot at watching these kids is going to be in the spring game, the ones that are early signees. The others will come in in June and July and get acclimated. We won't see them till the fall. And that brings uh, a last question as we got our last uh, couple of minutes in this segment. You know, is is the spring game going to be boring or is it going to be anything worth watching? Is it going to, I mean, what what can we do to top last year or is it, <laughs> is it really going to be exciting on the field with, with an opportunity to see some of these early kids? I think it's going to be exciting. Anytime you get seven early enrollees between two uh, two five star guys, I, I think that you know if, if you're certainly if you're a recruiting fan, you want to get out there and see Cam Akers or Josh Latendo for the first time. Uh, that's exciting to me. And again, I don't know that you can match last year one just a different setting and being in Orlando and two having two brand new quarterbacks to uh, to try it out there and, and take a look. But you know, there's going to be some some new guys and some new faces. Uh, you know, like I said with just a minute ago, with so many different receivers. Uh, now stepping up into the mix, you get to see them again, uh, some, some of those guys that, that are trying to take that next step. To me, the running back competition uh, with Dalvin Cook not there, you, you have Cam Akers will be at the spring game. you got a couple guys coming later on, and, and you have a, a bunch of veteran running backs who are having to try to hold those guys off and keep their jobs. So I think that's going to be pretty compelling. Uh, you have new guys on the offensive line. You want to see the, the new left tackle who's replacing Roderick Johnson, whoever that may be going up against new defensive ends fine to be the next to Marcus Walker. So uh, if you're into sort of the, the nitty-gritty of, of the battles and, and the, the individual position battles and, and how they match up both uh, with each other and then you know from their competition on the other side of the ball, I think it's going to be uh, you know a pretty fun watch. All right, well, let's do this. Let's step aside for just a moment. When we come back, I want to talk about a season that's fast approaching that has a little smaller round ball, and they play that on Dick Hauser Stadium. So when we come back, we're going to talk baseball right here on the front row. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back, everybody, to the Front Row. Keith Jones here flying in the right seat. Uh, my partner, Tom Block, via telephone, along with Tim Linnefelt. And guys, it's hard to believe we're sitting here in February. It was 76 degrees yesterday, uh, Tuesday, uh, and we got baseball approaching. Tim, uh, it's right around the corner. Yeah, about nine days, and that's like one of those seasons that always sort of sneaks up on you, uh, especially when the basketball programs are, are performing as well as, as they have been. Uh, you can kind of forget that mid-February is fast approaching, but fast approaching. But, but yeah, like you said. Uh, Baseball's getting ready to go, and uh, really, I don't know. I think I said this uh, last week or week before. I can't remember a time when there's just been this much anticipation around Florida State baseball in probably the last three or four years. Well, there's good reason for it. I mean, they returned their whole rotation, and uh, they got a guy like Mendoza in school, and they typically haven't had guys like that. Uh, I guess, the well, the two questions I'm aware of, and one of them is really not that big a question, I don't think. But is Mendoza going to play third or Busby? I mean, have they made that decision on who's at first and who's at third yet? Literally, who's on first? Uh, I don't know if they've, they've announced it yet. I don't know if they're they're ready to announce. But I think the indications are they are going to see Drew Mendoza play third and Dylan Busby play first. Now, that's not to say that they would never switch it up or that Drew Busby, or Dylan Busby. Drew Busby, that'd be a nice player, right? Just combine the two of them. Uh, yeah. Dylan Busby, you know, I'm sure will play some third at some point. But uh, from what I've been able to gather, it looks like Drew Mendoza is going to be your third baseman uh, on opening day. And then what's the closer situation look like right now? Uh, still figuring that one out, I, I believe. Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is. Hopefully they'll, they'll settle that and, and have something to say in the, uh, in the next few, uh, few days here before things get going. But I wouldn't be surprised, and it's been this way for a little while, if they sort of try out a few different guys uh, at the start of the season. Um, maybe one of the Boyle brothers gets the nod to, to start and then kind of goes from there to see how uh, how things go uh, at the start of the season. Speaking of uh, the next few days, excuse me, Tom, speaking of the next few days, Tim, uh, we've got a, a meet and greet going on on Saturday. Uh, and help me with the details, 11 to 12.30, 11 a.m. to 12.30. Fans can come out and, and spend some time with the players, and then there's an, an exhibition game following uh, at Dick Hauser Stadium this coming Saturday, correct? Exactly, and you know, always, uh, always a lot of fun for that. Uh, you know, uh, your baseball posters, uh, your autographs, meet and greets, take your pictures, all that kind of stuff, uh, and then afterwards, uh, an inter squad garnet and gold style scrimmage uh, for uh, get get a look at the guys. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, Drew Mendoza, the guy you're going to want to keep an eye on, uh, a really talented freshman, 
uh, but also see some of those uh, those sophomores that, that showed so much promise last year. Cal Raleigh uh, at catcher, Jackson Luke out in the outfield. Uh, and then, of course, the, uh, the the pitching staff of Cole Sands and, and Tyler Holton go along with Drew Carlton. Uh, there's just there's a, just a lot of talent on the team. I think, like I said last week, it, it feels like the, the nucleus of this team, the core of it, it, it's all based on mostly young players and that they all sort of came together and asserted themselves as, as that core really quickly uh, near the end of last season. So uh, chance to get a look at those guys and, and uh, sort of get excited for the season, which starts, I think we're about at the 10-day mark, which is hard to believe. Tommy, go ahead. I'll cut you off. Well, no, I was going to say, I mean, uh, we'll get into this. This figures to be one of the best teams 11's had in some time based on all the things you've just been talking about, Tim. How, how much longer do we think 11's going to go? I haven't seen a, a lot of that bandied about of late, but that question is uh, is obviously going to be sitting out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I look at it in terms of the roster that they've got and and, and sort of the, the, the time settings for, for that core, and so the fact is, you know, we'll see what Drew Carlton decides to do after this year. He's a junior, but but all those those sophomores, with the the Cal Raleigh's and, and you know Drew Mendoza, who's a freshman, uh, you have those guys under uh, you know in in the program at least for another two years. Uh, so I would kind of look at that as being where I would start and say that I think he's at least going to see this group of guys to their conclusion, uh, which would be the end of the 2018 season, and, and then beyond that, I think it probably depends on on you know. What, what they have, one, what they've achieved to that point. Uh, maybe they have back-to-back national titles at the end of the 2018 season. Uh, and, and then, you know, what, what is, is coming back, uh, who, is, who is still available, and what are your signing classes look like since then. So I would start with 2017 and 2018, and then from there I think it just depends on those circumstances. But I think you'll see them at least for another two seasons. Now, from a technical standpoint, Mike signed a two-year extension. Is that correct? So it would take it through the 18 season to the degree that was a defining uh, parameter. That, that's how I understand it. Now, and, you know, it, it gets weird with, with, with college coaches, uh, and, and we've seen that in just about all sports, and that very rare is the coach that wants to go into the last year of his deal uh, for recruiting purposes and whatever else. Right, and that's something right. that the administration is going to have to navigate. But, but obviously when you're talking about somebody like Mike Martin who's been here for, for so many years and is really, you know, an institution – uh, that situation is a little different than you know, maybe 95% of the other times uh, across college athletics. Now, Tim, uh, this is strictly rumor. I haven't been able to run down anybody with a, a firm answer, but I'm told that one of the things that's being looked at in terms of facilities, we talked about a maybe a football building at one point and what would be in it or not be in it, but uh, there, there's at least discussions about extending the grandstand uh, down the, 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 the left field line a little bit and doing some internal things to Hauser. Is any of that come to the forefront? Uh, that's actually the first I've heard of that. I think it would be a really good, uh, really good idea. And when you, know, when you talk about the, the cycle uh, of upgrades and renovations, uh, I feel like Dick Hauser is probably getting pretty close to its turn in that rotation. It's been a little while since, uh, since all those major upgrades were made a few years ago. So I think that's something that would be a good idea. You know, one thing I'd like to see, and I don't know if it would ever happen, would be some uh, some seating in the outfield. Uh, there actually is some space back there if uh, if you look. Uh, I don't know if that'll something that'll ever happen. It's sort of a, a daydreaming kind of thing, but I think that would be kind of cool and, and offer a, a new uh, new perspective uh, watching a baseball game out there. Tommy, have you heard anything about that, or is is that just well? No, I know it, I, I don't. I haven't seen plans for it, but that is something the Seminole Boosters is working toward. I mean, right now they're they're trying to finish up uh, phase two of the men's and women's basketball locker room expansion which by the way the uh, locker rooms are look amazing they've they've i mean they may be a little bit more left to do but but the majority of the work's been done yeah and i think the things they're working on i again i haven't seen those plans but i think it's a lounge and some other things associated with it uh on the basketball side but so they're fundraising for that and and also uh beginning or fundraising uh for some baseball enhancements i guess you'd say but one of them there has been discussion about uh what, what you referenced in terms of going all the way down the left field line with it uh just extending the the roof and, and doing that deal extending the uh, reserve section of the stadium tim what else is going on with some of the other sports that, that we don't give enough attention to well uh softball is uh, is getting going this week and expectations are, are really really high uh for them uh as usual but but coming off of uh, last year's run of the Women's College World Series where really they were awfully, awfully close to, uh, to a berth in the, in the championship series. Uh, and uh, and they're, they're starting back there in the, in the top five in just about every poll, pick number one 
uh, in the ACC. And, uh, and they're getting going uh, this weekend out at, uh, at Joanne Graff Field. Uh, they play Lipscomb uh, on Friday and, and Furman as well. They play those two uh, in a doubleheader at 1.30 and 4 o'clock on Friday. So definitely a good opportunity to get, a, uh, get some bases in your life, so to speak. Uh, lots of really talented players. They return both the ACC Pitcher of the Year in Jessica Burroughs and the ACC Player of the Year in, in Alex Powers. Uh, and that's from a team that was awfully close to contending uh, in, the, in the National Championship Series at the Women's College World Series. So uh, just as much expectations over over for the softball team as, as the baseball team. Uh, and that keeps going on Friday. So uh, a good opportunity to kind of get out here, especially with, uh, with men's basketball on the road this weekend. And I'm told that uh, men and women's golf are uh, nothing too shabby as well. No, uh, certainly not, and they're uh, they're getting going as well. It's going to be kind of that busy time. There you go, that that mid February again, leading into March, where it seems like there's something different going on around here just about every single day, leading up to to spring football and beyond. So, it's a uh, fun time, an exciting time, and also a very busy time. Well, folks, that's why we bring Tim Linnefeld on, our Seminoles.com insider. Uh, from a conductor standpoint, Tim, we're going to turn you loose. Tommy, we're going to ask you to stay on the horn as we go into our last segment. And while we do that, we'll pay a few bills by reminding you that both Tim and Tom have been joining us by via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. The Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We'd also remind you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, Go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can call them at 580-1200 or contact them online at www.ctf.nu. We'll be back to wrap it up in just a moment. The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Well, we're close to having another edition of the Front Row completed. This is Keith Jones. I'm joined with my partner, Tom Block, via telephone. And, and Tommy, we, we cut Felt off just a hair uh, in that there's uh, some additional news relative to women's golf we want to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of. Well, yeah. Tim, uh, as he got off, immediately uh, sent a text. He wanted to point out that the women's golf team is at home this weekend uh, playing at the, the Don Valley Central Golf Course, their Florida State matchup tournament on uh, Friday Saturday and Sunday, and they're actually the women's golf team number three in the country. So, and I think this is their only home uh, match of the year. So, Tim, we got you. We, we put it out there and wish them good luck. Of course, uh, Keith, men's basketball getting back at it tonight. And, you know, you, you can't play the game of counting wins, certainly uh, if you're – Well, we can, but you're not supposed to. Well, I was just going to say, certainly if you're the coaching staff, you can't play that game. But I was that was about what I was going to add is that we can. And so if you look at it right now, I mean, you got two road games at Notre Dame and Duke, but you still got a lot of winnable games out there. Now, obviously, you got to protect your home court, but you got NC State, uh, you got BC at home, you got a game at Pitt and Pitt's at the bottom of the league. Uh, the return game at Clemson, I'm sure, would have been uh, a challenge anyway because Little John's not been the best place for FSU to play, but in light of what happened Sunday, probably will be tough as well. But, but bottom line, this is a team that, uh, you know, is, is still – Still, a regular season ACC championship is is not out of the question uh, because Carolina has a tougher road to finish up. How many wins do you think would take to to win the regular season championship? Well, I don't think you could lose more than one more, and that even that might be too much since Carolina's already a game ahead of you. You know, right, right. I haven't sat down and, and compared and contrasted all that, but I do think when you look at it right now that. Uh, you know, in terms of the standings, Florida State's ahead of everybody left on the schedule, obviously, which sounds obvious because they're second in the league. But uh, even the at-Notre Dame game uh, appears more winnable now than maybe it did two or three weeks ago because Notre Dame has cooled off since they came to Tallahassee, uh, whereas the at-Duke game maybe has gotten tougher with Kay coming back and them starting to come together as a team. Well, um, and we'll remind our listeners that the uh, the Notre Dame game original 
tip time was 2 o'clock. That's been moved back to 6 o'clock. That's an away game on Saturday at 6. Coming up tonight, Florida State taking on NC State. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Smith kid, their new point guard, Tommy, I've watched a little bit of tape on him. I'm not seeing him in person. I'll have that opportunity tonight. This guy is is phenomenal. I mean, he, he might be the best freshman in the ACC in terms of his production. Well, he is, and Leonard talked a lot about him. The thing that NC State has not done uh, a great job of this year is play defense, you know, and that's that's a recipe to get yourself in some trouble, and especially if FSU is going to feed off the energy of its home crowd and play defense itself. Uh, I mean, you have to like the Knowles tonight, obviously. Um, but I understand why there's some trepidation out there just because there's been years past where teams have come in and they've had one guy that gets hot, and, and Dennis Smith Jr. is that kind of guy that can put 35 points on the board. Is it fair to continue to have a little bit of a doubt in the back of your mind with this Florida State squad only because of their youth relative to are they really learning the lessons that I think they're learning or do we need to be a little more realistic in that I I think they have a chance to win every one of these games going forward and it won't surprise me if they end up in New York with, with 24, 25 wins. You know, I think it's fair to expect that they could do that. Obviously, you know, they've been better at home. That's going to be true for any team. But a team that's not, uh, you know, the thing that's different here, uh, and we saw that when they went to Georgia Tech and Syracuse, Florida State is, is used to being the hunter, not the hunted, you know, on the basketball court. So that's a different mentality. Uh, you know, we hear it in football a lot about them getting the team's best shot and all that. So that's that's a different thing. But having said that, I do think, uh, you know, X has matured a lot. There are some veterans on this team, like an Ojo, and even Bacon in his second year is, is uh, much better, more of a team guy, more of a leader than he was a year ago. But I think that that same doubt that FSU fans have, uh, you see it in the in the minds of pollsters when you look at the national polls right now, because the RPI tells you FSU's fifth, and the polls say FSU's 14th, which is a pretty big disparity. Uh, and not the disparity that you would see if it was Carolina or Duke or Louisville or a name brand in terms of their RPI, I wouldn't think. Well, the good news about basketball is that it's the committee's doing, and I'm excited uh, as we close right here in the last few minutes. Your thoughts. I'm excited about this preliminary bracket, 1 through 16, coming out on Saturday for the first time ever. Well, it's you know it's just a way to create more hype. I mean, ESPN's been – been doing that for years with Joe Lenardi as their bracketologist, you know. So yeah, but theoretically, uh, this one counts. Theoretically, theoretically, yeah. <laughs> well, really, what's interesting about it from a Florida State standpoint is that for the first time in years, FSU doesn't have to question whether they're going to be on the right side of the bubble when you look at an NCAA tournament projection. Yeah, you know, there is there is no bubble. We're off yeah. the bubble. That's the good yeah. news. Well, and now so now we're getting picky about are they should they be a three seed should they be a two seed and that's a much more enjoyable conversation to have than are they team number seventy or are they team number sixty three. Well, when we get back together next time, you'll be sitting in the, in the seat. I did not sit in it; it's there reserved for you. It's the left seat. It's got got your headset right in front of it, ready for you to come back. Uh, we'll wish you safe travels back from Nashville. We'll have an opportunity to talk about what happened NC State and Notre Dame, uh, a little bit about softball, women's golf, and I don't know whatever else we come up with right here. Yeah, it'll be good to be back in the saddle again. Which has been a little disjointed. Always tough at this point of the year with the basketball schedule and then some of my travel. But uh, I will see you soon. Sounds good, Tommy. All that will come every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on the front row. We'll sign off for tonight. 